This is Pastor James Guyo, and welcome to Berean Sovereign Grace Church in Westerville, Ohio. We are a Sovereign Grace teaching ministry, and you can visit our website, www.salvationinchristalone.com, to hear more of our messages, and also go to soundcloud.com and search for James Guyo. My last name is spelled G-U-Y-O, or you can search Berean Sovereign, just Berean Sovereign, and you will see our messages there also. May the Lord bless your hearing, and may he serve you for his sake, for Christ's sake, and for the sake of his gospel. And now to our gospel teaching. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to bless your name again this morning. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we thank you for him. We thank you for his faithfulness in accomplishing our salvation. And we thank you for your grace in reckoning that work of his, that perfect work to us, that we may have a righteousness to stand on before you. We thank you, Lord, for your church. We thank you, Lord, for this wonderful opportunity that you've granted us to one more time go back into your word and be reminded of Christ and what he has accomplished and also be reminded of who we are in him. For we tend to always forget that we are the redeemed of Christ and we uh, the holy ones of Christ, and we are blameless before him and before you because of his obedience. So, Lord, we just pray that you always remind us of these things. We pray now for grace to abound as we go into the book of John and just asking for help that your people may hear with understanding. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So finally, we are in John chapter 10. We are finally in John chapter 10. And we are going to be working our way through the chapter in the next few weeks as the Lord will give me understanding. But for today, we are just going to concentrate on verses 1 to 6 and mostly verse 1 to 4. But we are going to read verses 1 to 6. And this is from the NSB. And it reads, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the ship, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the ship. To him the doorkeeper opens and the ship hear his voice and he calls his own ship by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the ship follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. For our sermon title, we have a lot of titles, 
because there's just a lot of things to say. <laughs> the gospel call, the gospel call, or he calls his sheep by name, or they know his voice, they know his voice, or the shepherd and his voice. <laughs> the shepherd and his voice, or the shepherd and effectual calling. The shepherd and effectual calling. Or you can just say the title of our sermon is verses 1 to 5. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> That's the title of our sermon, verses 1 to 5. In Luke chapter 8, verses 9 to 11, Luke recorded for us and said, His disciples began questioning him, that is questioning Jesus, as to what this parable meant. And this was after Jesus had taught them the parable of the soils. And the Lord said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables. Why? So that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. In Matthew 13, verses 10 to 11, Matthew recorded for us and said, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. So parables are figures of speech. And the Lord Jesus Christ was fond of teaching using parables. And in the New Testament, he is the only one who used them. Only the Lord Jesus Christ who used parables in the New Testament. And the Greek word translated figure of speech here in our text in verse 6 of John 10 is not the Greek word parable. It's not exactly the same Greek word. They are not the same word. But they carry the same idea and meaning. The word parable comes from two Greek words. It's a compound of two Greek words, para, paramedic, paralegal, para, and balo, that's B-A-L-L-O, which together mean to throw alongside, to throw alongside. So parable actually is a transliteration of the Greek word, which means they just mostly replace the Greek word with the English equivalent of the letter. And it migrated to us as parable, mostly unchanged, like baptize, which is from baptizo. The only difference between baptize and baptizo is the last letter, which is O for baptizo and baptize is E. But a parable is an illustration and it makes a comparison between a non-truth and an unknown truth. It throws them alongside each other. It brings the familiar so that the familiar would be used as the basis of drawing understanding of the unfamiliar or the hidden. It's almost like when you're giving someone directions, you tell them, okay, when you get to this exit, you're going to see this building. And then when you get there, 
It's giving you directions using familiar points. But the purpose of a parable is both to reveal and to conceal truth depending on the audience. And when it was used by the Lord, largely he used parables for revealing truth to his disciples, but concealing it from the Jews. But not always. It was given so that the hearer would be able to draw truth for themselves based on their understanding of the familiar, like we are going to see from this story of the Good Shepherd. So in this parable of the sheep and the shepherd, the Lord seeks to illustrate the relationship that the sheep sustain, that the sheep have with the shepherd, and emphasizing or highlighting the character traits or qualities of both the shepherd and the sheep, especially drawing out the shepherd's commitment to the welfare and well-being of his sheep. And the Lord picks up this parable to teach us not about animal husbandry or how to train our pets or groom our sheep, but to illustrate his work of salvation and what function and purpose he plays in the process. And this discourse, this discussion by the Lord is very important because it gives us the Lord's thoughts and insights on his ship and salvation. And it is important for us to know what the Lord actually thinks about this so that we talk about salvation the way that he thinks we should talk about salvation. So that we say what the Lord actually says about salvation and not our opinions about it. Because our opinions do not matter, so we are just better off discarding them and agreeing with what Jesus says. <laughs> because faith is to agree with what Jesus says. That's salvation. You agree with him. Whatever he says, that's what you agree with. But why sheep? Why did the Lord pick out sheep? I want to draw your attention to the type of animal that the Lord chose to use as his illustration. I'm sure there were other parables and fables about donkeys, rabbits, snakes, and monkeys that he could have used, but he chose not donkeys, not cattle, not goats, not pigs, not chickens, but sheep. Why sheep? Because sheep are vulnerable. They have no proper defense of their own. They do not have horns. And they do not have speed like the gazelles on the African plain. They do not have strength and are therefore vulnerable to any who might want to cause or wish them harm. And sheep tend to be on the heavy side weight-wise. They just tend to be bulky. And so they will struggle coming out of ditches when they accidentally fall into them. They don't have much strength. They get a little bit bulky. And so spiritually, we too are that overweight and vulnerable. And the Lord Jesus said in Luke 16 verse 8, the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. It's speaking to our spiritual vulnerability. So when we get stuck spiritually, we are stuck to die forever 
unless the good shepherd comes and gets us out. And that is why he said, without me, you can do nothing. You will remain stuck. (laughs) Without me, you will remain stuck in your sin. But not only that, the sheep also exist in an environment in which they have enemies. The sheep exist in an environment in which they have enemies whose purpose is to prey on them if they are not well protected. And the sheep are not able to form their own militia and arm themselves to shoot down the hyenas, the jackals, leopards, lions that may want to have them for dinner or lunch. The sheep can't do that. They can't shoot a rifle. They can't shoot spears. Unlike Charlie. But in the bigger context of this teaching, we see the doctrine of salvation and the security of the sheep. The doctrine of the security of the believer, the teaching of the security of the believer is one of the most attacked doctrines in the church. And it is attacked not by atheists, but by professing church people. And why do professing Christians attack the security of salvation when the cross is the only message of security and hope? Why attack the vessel that has come for your rescue? You are sinking and you have a vessel coming for your rescue and you launch a rocket grenade onto the ship that has come for your rescue. (laughs) Why attack the vessel that has come out for your rescue? Because they do not know the gospel and they do not see their own spiritual wreckage that it is that serious. They do not see that their spiritual wreckage is that serious. Sinners think that when Jesus came, their ships were still sailing on the seas. They think their hot air balloons were still full of air. But that's not true. The the ships had long sunk to the bottom of the ocean. And the hot air balloons had run out of air. And the parachutes did not deflate on falling to the ground. The parachutes did not inflate. And they died on landing. They died on landing. And if you do not know the gospel, the true gospel, not some whitewashed gospel, but God's gospel, Christ's gospel, there's no way that you would come to any theological position that attacks or teaches that a believer can lose salvation. But for some reason, some people say salvation can be lost because they think that salvation is the work of the ship. Salvation is not the work of the ship. The ship cannot be looking out for themselves and trying to protect themselves. Salvation is about the good shepherd seeing and knowing the vulnerability of his sheep and coming to call them, to feed them, protect and save them. Jesus did not say, my people are like lions. If sheep had some, if we had some ability to protect ourselves, to defend ourselves, to work out our salvation, then Jesus would have said, you guys are like lions. (laughs) Because lions have some serious ability to defend their territory. 
Okay? Lions can defend their territory. And Jesus knows about lions. He created them. And he could have used that imagery for us. But he did not. He said we are sheep. I grew up as a herdsman and I headed about 50 cattle and about 20 goats. And so I know a little bit about shepherding and heading. Shepherding is the work and reputation of the shepherd. The reputation of the shepherd is always a stake when we talk about heading. No one who loves his sheep entrusts their care to someone who is a hireling if he would have any left at the end of the day. And so Jesus is going to tell us what kind of a shepherd he is later in the chapter and say he is not a hireling and we do not teach or believe a gospel that is a Jesus who is a hireling. That's not our gospel. But when we say a believer can lose their salvation, we are saying that Christ is not qualified to head God's ship. We are saying that he scores not an A, but an F in his shepherding skills. When we say Jesus loses his own, we are saying he does not care for the ship. That he is weak to protect against all the hyenas and wolves that may come and devour his ship. We are saying he is a poor headsman. And this is very bad and offensive theology. It is very bad theology to say Jesus loses those that he died to save. Because when you say that, you are saying there is some power that is greater than Jesus that can remove you from Christ. And you are saying that the blood of Christ was not good enough to cleanse us from all our sin and is unable to justify us from all things that the law could not justify us. But the true gospel is good news because it is a message of security and of preservation. It is good news because the shepherd of the sheep is able to keep his sheep from stumbling, from falling, from being snatched away from him. He gave the father all that the law required of the sheep. The law of God required the condemnation of the sheep. But he came in their room, in their place, and lifted that burden of the law that was on them. He removed the curse of the law that was on the sheep to kill them. He justified his ship. He sanctified and he glorified them. He overcame death on their behalf by his resurrection and his ship rose with him as they also died in him. And because they are in him and because they were in him when he died, death has no more hold on them that are in him. And we therefore do not submit to the teaching that makes Jesus a hireling. It is just a false gospel and has to be dismissed with all the contempt that it deserves. The work of salvation was not for the ship to do. The ship were already in the ditch and needed help. The ship were already lost 
and needed the shepherd to come and find them. And that is why Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. And that is shepherding language. Seeking and saving. So you seek, you go look for them and then you save them out of the ditch in which they are in. And only a good shepherd can say that. Yes, men want to show that they, they want to be counted for something. They want to show God that they are diligent. But the problem is we overestimate our ability to be diligent. We overestimate our ability to obey. Elder Morris once said, even a man with just one piece of hair will still commit because he thinks he has hair. So we think we have some ability just because we are walking. We underestimate how deep the stain of sin has gone. We overestimate our ability to fight the enemies of our souls. We have not had the giggling, the laughing of a pack of hyenas that is salivating for our souls. The rolling of the devil who goes about like a lion seeking whom he may devour. We think we are really something and have enough arrows of our own to shoot down sin, death, condemnation, and the devil. These are our real enemies. We think we have enough gas in the tank to run to the end and win the prize without Christ doing it. It is conceited and foolish theology. Sheep do not help the shepherd to look after them. Sheep are not paid to look after themselves. They do not even know they are lost because they are sheep. It is the shepherd who counts his sheep and realizes that one or two are missing and goes out looking for them. And that is what Jesus Christ has done and is doing. You see, the sheep, when they get lost, they don't get lost with a cell phone. And then call and say, well, Jesus, I'm lost here. Can you come find me? And Jesus like, where are you? Like I exited from exit 45 on 70 West. When sheep get lost, they don't have a cell phone. They don't even know where they are. <laughs> they don't even know where they are. It's the shepherd who knows, who counts. He knows exactly, counts them. And he realizes that, oh, Robert is missing. <laughs> I'm going to go look for him. And I know where to find him. <laughs> so praise the Lord for the good shepherd. So the shepherding of Christ is a picture of Christ's commitment towards the recovery and care of his sheep. But how did the sheep come to belong to the shepherd? We bought our own livestock and Christ bought his too. The sheep of Christ did not become sheep because they chose him. The father chose the sheep and gave them to Christ that Christ may redeem them to himself. And so Christ came to seek and save his sheep that were lost and to bring them back to God's fold. So all the sheep were lost. There was none that was at home when Christ came. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All of us, like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned 
to his own way. We all had gone astray. Oh, we all had gone astray and each had turned to his own way and doing whatever was good in their own sight. And the quality of the shepherding skills of Jesus consists in him coming and dying for the sheep because the enemy already had his sheep in his hands to devour them. So Christ comes to dispossess the enemy of his sheep. So the death of the shepherd in place of his sheep is evidence of his love for his sheep and his commitment to serve them. Sin, death, condemnation, and the devil were already on the ship. The devil was working the ship to death, <laughs> using the ship to do his bidding. And Christ came to give himself as a ransom for their release, for their freedom. And all this is contained in this teaching from John 10. And we're going to be revisiting and revisiting some of the things that I already said in the teachings to come. So we'll go to verse 1 of John 10 to our text, which says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the ship, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. So this is the background. Families in Palestine and the Near East, or even now those who are still doing this kind of business of heading ship. They have big flocks of ship. They shared ship pens. They had a communal pen in which they all housed their ship overnight. And they had a watchman over them to guard against thieves and beasts of prey from entering. And this section here by the Lord is, is a snippet it's a snapshot of the morning scene. He's describing to us what happened in the morning. It describes the morning scene as the shepherds got ready to let out their sheep to lead them to the pastures that they may catch the morning grass before it had dried up from the heat of the sun. Remember the kind of weather. And everyone who, who is in the hearing of the Lord as he is saying this, understands what is being said as far as reference to the ship. They understand what he's talking about that. They do not necessarily understand the spiritual meaning of what Jesus is saying. But they understand the picture that Jesus has presented. It's familiar to them. But there's an Old Testament background to the story which is very, very, very important. By using this imagery, Jesus is invoking for them to remember God as the shepherd of Israel and his promise or promises to give Israel a faithful shepherd of the sheep. This is language that permeates the Old Testament teaching, especially Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. In Isaiah 40, verse 11, Isaiah says, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock, in his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Jesus is telling them that he is that eschatological shepherd of the sheep of God. 
eschatological comes from eschatos, and it's the Greek word that simply means last, last, the last one, the first Adam and the eschatos Adam, that's the last Adam. So Jesus comes to say he is the last and final shepherd and the true shepherd of God's people, and as the true shepherd, he shall gather them all to himself, and he shall faithfully feed and tend to them, unlike all the other shepherds of Israel who had come before him, who fleeced God's sheep. They fleeced God's sheep. And here is more background that Jesus is working on. Jesus has Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34 in mind. The Jews are very familiar with those texts. Jeremiah 23 verses 1 to 5. We could have actually read the whole chapter. We may in the next teachings. I don't know. But it's very important for us to have some idea that Jesus is pulling this from the Old Testament. There is an Old Testament background to it. The sheep shepherd theme is an Old Testament theme. So Jeremiah 23, 1 to 5, Jesus says, or the Lord says, it's actually Jesus. (laughs) War to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. That's him. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. So the shepherds of Israel have destroyed and scattered God's sheep and have not attended to them. Listen to verse 3. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply. See, the Lord is the one who says, I will do it myself. I will gather my remnant. I will gather my flock and I'll make them fruitful. So this was an eschatological promise. He is the one who is promising to come and do the gathering of the remnant of his people. Verse 4, I will also raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them and they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The Lord says, he will also raise under shepherds. He is the shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. But he's going to raise faithful under shepherds that will take care of his sheep. Verse 5, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. So this is the great shepherd of the sheep, who is a descendant of David, the righteous branch. That's Jesus Christ. Ezekiel 34, 1 to 10. Ezekiel 34, 1 to 10. Ezekiel says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus saith the Lord God, War shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, 
you have not strengthened the diseased, you have not healed the broken, you have not bound up the scattered, you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. So the shepherds of Israel have again fleeced the sheep and neglected them. That sounds very familiar. Verse 5, they were scattered for lack of a shepherd and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. Every beast of the field, every preacher in the field. That's what that is saying. Everybody who is claiming to be speaking on behalf of God and yet they are not doing it because they love the sheep or because they love the gospel, but because they want to fleece the sheep. Those are the beasts of the field. Verse 6, my flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill, my flock was scattered all over the surface of the earth and there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I'll demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds would not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. And so that is very important background to Jesus showing up and talking about him being the good shepherd and giving that background of the sheep and the shepherd. Okay, so that's the proper setting. That's the proper setting. And, and the example of the mistreatment of one of Christ's sheep in the person of the blind man goes to demonstrate the behavior of these false shepherds of Israel. Is the chief priests, is the Pharisees, who are supposed to be over God's flock, who are mistreating God's people. So, so the, the mistreatment of this blind man is an illustration of the behavior of the shepherds of Israel and how they were ill-treating God's people. But Jesus comes as the true good shepherd of the sheep who finds his sheep as he did with a man born blind. And that is the basis of the thief, robbers, and hireling themes. So again to verse 1 of John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the ship, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. So the legitimate owner and shepherd of the ship enters to the ship by the door, the straight way, the clear way, the true way, because his motive for the ship is also clear and clean. The manner of entrance here, but you see, the Lord draws us attention to the manner of entrance. The manner of entrance into the fold speaks of his righteous motives. He enters for the benefit of the sheep and is willing to be seen and to reveal his identity to the watchmen. They did not have identity badges and biometrics then 
to identify the shepherds. But Jesus' point is that he is the authentic owner of the sheep who has come to call his sheep to himself. And in contrast, there are these who are thieves and robbers and they are identified as such by the manner of their seeking entry into the sheep's fold. They do not use the proper entrance that they may be seen because they have Ulterior motives, they have hidden motives. They do not approach the ship with the true gospel. They do not approach the ship with the true gospel. They backdoor their way into the fold because their desire is to destroy and fleece the ship. And hyenas are notorious for doing just that. They would come to my pens and destroy them from outside. They would open a way for the livestock to come out. They didn't go inside themselves and they didn't use the front entrance and look at the time that they came also. They came at night. They come at night. They would scare the livestock and the livestock then would come out running, thinking they are running out for safety, but would fall prey and be eaten. And this behavior was obviously in contrast to mine who was the headsman, the true headsman, I would come through the front entrance and not in the cover of darkness, but by the morning light. And my animals would recognize me and they would not be scared of me. And I would approach them from the only gate there was for all legitimate shepherds or headsmen to use. And as I was working on this teaching, I just was reminded of this. The relationship that the sheep and the shepherd has in terms even of fear, when the true shepherd came for the sheep, they were never scared. Never scared. And I think when we shall meet with the Lord, we shall never be scared of him. And we shall recognize him. A good shepherd does not scare the sheep. He is gentle. He does not scare the sheep. They always run to him. They always run to him. But the thieves and robbers do not use the proper way of getting to the ship. They can't use the proper way to get to the ship. Even now, all these devious people with hidden motives do not follow the rules. They always do something through the back door. That is their methodology. They will not preach the gospel. And they do so not because they are ignorant of the gospel, but because they intend to fleece and destroy the ship. That's the purpose. A false gospel keeps sheep scared and confused. And when the sheep are scared and confused, guess what? They are easy prey. They are easy to devour. They take in anything and everything. And that is the strategy of attack by wild beasts. They scare, cause confusion, then they attack. That's how hyenas, wolves, lions, all these predators, that's their strategy. Always, you scare, you confuse, and then you attack. So they preach a gospel that gives no assurance. That's how they get you scared and confused. So now you are constantly looking to yourself for security and your sheep, you have no security. You become vulnerable to the attack. So that's how it works. 
verse 2 and 3 of John 10. Jesus says, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So in contrast, the true shepherd of the sheep, the one who cares for the sheep, enters by the door. But not only that, his sincerity is authenticated by the fact that the doorkeeper recognizes him and he opens the door for him to enable his sheep to come out. And if you read or hear from other people, there are just many speculations of who the doorkeeper is. And I'm not going to be speculating anything today. We'll see if the Lord will open my eyes clearly. But we cannot fail to lose the point. The point still is there that Jesus is making, even if we don't properly identify who the doorkeeper is. The point is that the one who approaches the sheep by the door is the authentic shepherd. He's the true shepherd. He means for the good welfare of the sheep. So listen to the things that the good shepherd did. The good shepherd does four things in verses 2 and 3. Number one, he approaches the sheep by the door. Unlike the thieves and robbers who go by the other side. By the backside. So he approaches the sheep by the door. Number two, he gets recognition and permission to enter the pen to the sheep. Number three, he calls out his sheep. Number four, he calls his own by name. Number five, he leads them out. He leads them out. So the shepherds made very characteristic sounds with their tongues that were particular to them. And their sheep were able to tell different shepherds apart just from the sounds that they made. And the sheep had this very specific call and they were able or even now are able to associate that call with their shepherd and they follow him. And that means the sheep had been trained before to be able to associate the call with the voice of the shepherd. Just that ability to make a differentiation between the calls of the different shepherds is saying the sheep had been trained. Been trained. Listen to what Jesus said in John 6.45. Jesus said, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has had and learned from the Father comes to me. They come to him who has had and learned. To hear the voice of the shepherd is behavior that you learn and that you hear from God. It's God who has to teach you. So the believer comes to Christ because they have been taught of God. They have heard from the Father. Not that they decided to make Jesus Lord and Savior. And the sheep are the elect of Christ. Taught by the Father. Heard from the Father. But what voice do they hear when the shepherd calls? When they have never met with the shepherd. You and I have never met with Jesus. So what voice do we hear? What is the voice that says, okay, this is the voice of the good shepherd. How do we differentiate the voice of Jesus from the voice of the many other hirelings 
who may also be trying to call the sheep to themselves as to devour them. They hear the gospel call. He calls his own by the preaching of the gospel. And the sheep hear this particular message because they are born again. They hear this particular call from God, this gospel message, very specific message because they are born again. So the new birth is the means by which the good shepherd puts memory of his voice into his elect. You see, the calling of the shepherd, the calling of the sheep by the shepherd assumes a pre-existing relationship. You can't just walk to the pen, to the sheep pen, and start calling out on sheep that you did not have a pre-existing relationship with. And these particular sheep have in their heads, in their brain, some decoding ability. They have some software upgrade, some software program that tells them their shepherd is calling out for them. They have the Holy Spirit in them. They have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the program. He is the software that God gives to all those that belong to Christ. For no one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. You can't say that. You can't say Jesus is Lord unless you have the Holy Spirit. And so what we see from this is when the shepherd goes to the pen, not every sheep in the pen comes out to follow him. It's only those that have been given to that particular shepherd that hear his voice. And so not everyone has that software, that gospel software to hear the voice of Christ. Okay? If all the sheep would just come out on hearing just some random guy come, then Jesus would not have picked up this example. (laughs) So the very fact that only his particular sheep follow him means this call is very particular. But let's let's talk about the nature of the call. We're going to be working on the nature of the call for the next 20, 30 minutes. (laughs) The nature of the call. Jesus tells us and says he calls them by name. It is not a random call. It is not just a public broadcast to no one in particular that is done in the hope that some may come if they just feel like doing it. The calling of the ship is not hoping that some ship would make sense and gather themselves and say, okay, I think I'm going to follow Jesus. No, the shepherd is the one who does the calling. He initiates the call and the sheep come. The sheep do not call the shepherd. The sheep do not choose the shepherd. Sinners do not choose Christ. The sheep follow the shepherd because he first called them. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us. It is he who enables the sheep to follow him. He walks in front of them, revealing himself to them. The sheep cannot follow a shepherd whom they cannot see. We know the call of the shepherd and we see him by faith. Our shepherd, the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, we know his call and we see him by faith for we walk not by sight but by faith. We walk not by sight but by faith. And that is why the blind man was able to hear the voice of Christ. 
the good shepherd of the sheep. So Christ, the good shepherd of the sheep, came to the blind man, the sheep. The blind man did not come to Jesus. The blind man was a sheeplet of Jesus. He heard the voice of the good shepherd. He saw the good shepherd because it's Jesus who opened his eyes. The sheep cannot see their shepherd and cannot recognize him unless their spiritual eyes are opened to see him. Who is he, Lord, that I may believe on him? (laughs) Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is it, Lord, that I may believe in him? It is I who talks to you. (laughs) Or who is talking to you. So the call of the shepherd is irresistible. The gospel is a divine call. It is God who always initiates the call. Always. Jesus' command when he was calling his disciples to himself was, follow me, follow me. In Matthew 9, 9, Matthew says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Matthew was sitting in the house, in the place from which he was doing his business of stealing from the people, doing his tax returns. But dead in trespasses and sins in his tax collector's booth, he was not looking for Christ. Tax collectors were notorious for stealing money from people. So Jesus found Matthew in his place of sin, just like you and I. He found us in our house, in our tax collector's booth of sin. He did not find us doing well. He did not find us doing good. He found us exactly in the place of our sin. And he came and said, follow me, follow me. Matthew was not looking for Jesus. And when Jesus said, follow me, Matthew got up and followed him right away. Matthew did not say, no, Jesus, wait, wait, Jesus. I need to finish this text return. <laughs> my my TurboTax software is freezing right now. Let me just do two more filings and then I'll follow. Jesus, wait, let me get my tax refund first and then I'll catch up with you a little later. no. Grace is irresistible when Jesus is calling the sheep. The sheep readily come. They do not give excuses like what happened in Luke 14. Go to Luke 14, verses 16 to 20. And this is what Luke tells us in verse 16. But he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. I have to go on a honeymoon. I have a cruise. But why did these not come? It was not because God's call on them had failed. 
They did not come because they were not his sheep. They did not have the software upgrade to hear the message right. They did not come because they did not fit Jesus' guest list. All those who hear the call of the good shepherd are vulnerable. They are sheep. They are vulnerable and weak like sheep. Vulnerable spiritually. Luke 14, 21 says, And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the crippled, and the blind, and the lame. See the contrast between those two groups of people. The first group of people in Luke 14, verse 18 to 20, those were very strong people. They were busy people. They had their life going on very, very well. Someone is thinking they just bought some farmland. They have some some oxen. They have to go check it out. Check out the farmland. They have to go check out the yoke of oxen. And this one says, oh, my life is just beginning, man. I just got married. Don't don't invite me to this thing. Okay, can you just excuse me politely? (laughs) But look to those that were invited in verse 21. That's a different group of people. They have nothing going on for them. They have nothing going on for them. They are the poor. They are the crippled. They are the blind and lame. That is, they are sheep. They are defenseless. And that is another picture of the elect. They are like children. They are also the poor. Like I said, they are blind and lame. These always heed the voice of the master. And if the Holy Spirit is given you, is installed in you, you shall know that you are the crippled, the poor, the lame, the blind. And that is to say, you are sheep. Luke 19, verses 1 to 6. Luke says, He entered Jericho, that's Jesus, and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. So Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and he was rich, but he had one problem. He was a man of little stature. What does that mean? He had no righteousness. He could not measure up to Christ. He was not tall enough to see Jesus by himself. He was just some very short guy. So he thinks maybe he could find a way to cheat himself and become taller. So he went up a tree. So he climbed up a tree to see Jesus. But Jesus told him, no, Zacchaeus, you come down. You come down. I see what you're trying to do. Jesus had come to make a board with him at his house. So he called Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. 
And you and I are Zacchaeus. We are short of stature, which means we are short of the righteousness that Christ is. And an attempt to make ourselves righteous, that we may be of the same standing with Christ, are futile. Unless Christ says, you come down, you let go of yourself, I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to make a board with you at your house. You see that? And when Jesus said that to Zacchaeus, that was an effectual call. That was a gospel call. Zacchaeus came down from the tree and he went with Jesus at his house. And by the way, it's Jesus who passed through Jericho to come and get Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was not looking for Jesus. He had just heard about Jesus, but it's Jesus who purposed to come and make a board with Zacchaeus at Zacchaeus' house. Galatians 1, 15 to 17. Apostle Paul writes and says, But when God, who has set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Apostle Paul is talking about his call to ministry and his call to salvation. He says he was set apart even from his mother's womb. That is election. That's election. But who set him apart? God did. Not his parents. He was set apart even from his mother's womb. So it's God who set him apart. And who called him? It was God who called him. And how did God call him? Apostle Paul says, By his grace, Paul was called by God's grace, not by his own doing. Paul was raised by very religious parents, but it is not they who called him to Christ. They had no power to call him to Christ. They had power to take him to the temple, but they did not have power to call him to Christ. All they could do was make him religious, according to the traditions of their forefathers. And every person who comes to Christ has to be called of God. Everyone who ever comes to Christ has to be called of God. God has to do the calling. And if you still remember when Paul was called, God blinded him on the Damascus road. He blinded Paul. And when Paul opened his eyes, he saw nothing. His eyes were opened and he saw nothing. And so when God opens your eyes by his grace, by his calling, by his light, by his gospel, guess what? You see nothing but Christ alone. Paul in his blindness could see Christ, but he could not see anything else. And so the ship, when the eyes have been opened, when the light of the gospel has been shone, and their ears have been unplugged. They can only see Christ. 
and they can only hear the voice of the shepherd calling. When Lazarus was dead, he did not hear the voices of his sisters or their relatives or neighbors who were weeping and wailing for him. He did not hear the voices of those who were in the graves with him. He heard only the voice of Jesus saying, Lazarus, come forth. The voice of the resurrection in the life saying, Lazarus, come forth. And that is the gospel call. That is the effectual call. That is how salvation happens. One becomes a Christian only when God calls them. When you were dead in trespasses and sins, you came to Christ because he called. And not just call, he called you by your name. But why did God call Paul? For what reason? For what reason did God call Paul, according to Apostle Paul, that we just read from Galatians 1? Apostle Paul says, because God was pleased to reveal his son in him. So the calling was for the revelation of Christ to Apostle Paul, that Christ may be revealed to him and the hope of his calling. See the pattern of the theology of Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul says, it is God who called because it is God who set him apart. (laughs) It is he who calls all those that he set apart from their mother's womb that he may reveal his son to them. Not that they may come to church and pay the tithe. Not that they may come to church and do all these things that people are saying is church. No, the calling is of God, the calling of the gospel is so that Christ may be revealed to you. So God called us with a holy calling that we may believe in his son. And when one is called of God, they do not consult with flesh and blood. Did you hear what Apostle Paul said? He said, I did not consult with flesh and blood. They do not wait for the opinions of their family or their friends to accept the call. They don't check with anybody else if following Jesus is okay. Because the call of the gospel is not a flesh and blood call. It is a call by God of those who have been born again of God, not according to the flesh not according to blood or the will of man. So it is a divine call, a gospel call, a grace call, an irresistible call, a call from the good shepherd of the sheep. Romans 8, 28 to 30. And we know that God causes all things to work for good, all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All who are the code are called not according to their own purpose, not according to the purpose of their church or their parents or their relatives or friends. They are called according to his purpose. Him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will, according to his good pleasure. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. 
And these whom he justified, he also glorified. See what the apostle says. The ones who are called are these whom he foreknew. It is these that he loved beforehand, before they were born. He always loved them with an electing love. So it is these that he separated from their mother's womb, which is to say, before they were born, and to say, their being called has nothing to do with the parents themselves. The parents did not sprinkle their newborn into the foreknowledge of God. They did not dip their baby into the calling of God. No, the text says it is God who foreknew them, who foreloved them, because he predestined them to be in Christ and to be conformed to the image of Christ. And because of that, he called them. They have to be called because God's purpose in them is to make the image of Christ, to create the image of the heavenly in them. So it is God who foreknew them because he predestined them to be in Christ and because of that, he called them. They have to be called and it is God who calls. He calls in his own time, not on our schedule. And that removes man's will and power and decision. And if our children belong to him, if our children were set aside by him, foreknown by him, predestined by him, guess what? He shall call them. <laughs> and they're coming. They are not going to negotiate. If they negotiate, they're just wasting time because they're coming. He's going to drag them. They're coming. You will not be able to leave Jesus if you belong to Jesus. You can try. Jonah tried it, right? Jonah tried it and what became of him, he still found himself where exactly God wanted him to be. So when these have been called, they will not resist. They will come not because Jesus is their mother's or their father's God. Charlie, when you come to Christ, you are not coming because Jesus is your dad's God. You are coming because he is your God. Jesus has to be your God. So when God calls you, you are coming. The sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and they follow him. They come. Hear the prophetic call of Samuel in First Samuel 3 verses 1 to 3. Let's go there. First Samuel 3 verses 1 to 11. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. And word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. It happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now his sight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well. And the Lamb of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And the Lord called Samuel and he said, Here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. 
The Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Hear that? (laughs) Nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called as at other times. is the same message, same way of calling. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. This is what I like you to see. When God calls us, we are like Samuel. We hear the voice. The text says in verse 8 that, verse 7, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had The word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. This is our spiritual state. When the Lord came calling for us, we had not known the Lord yet. The Lord had not yet been revealed to us. But when he comes, we hear the voice. But we may fail to know who it is who is calling, but the Lord will not relent until you recognize that it is he who is calling. It is not Eli who called Samuel. Eli was a priest. Eli was a priest. It is not he who revealed God to him. Eli knew who God was. But there was nothing that he could do for Samuel to know who God is until God himself showed up. Samuel had heard a lot of things about God, but the text says, Samuel did not know who the Lord was. The Lord had not yet spoken to him. You can only know the Lord when he has called and has spoken to you. So it is not your uncle or your aunt or your pastor who called you or calls you to Christ. I can't reveal Christ to you. It's God who has to reveal Christ to you. And no one ever comes to Christ by an altar call, but only when God calls. And many have answered the altar call who are still to be called by God because they do not know who God is and God has not spoken to them. But when God calls, he does not do it in a group. He does not speak to you on a public address system. He knows your name. He separated you and formed you. And so he will come again and again and say, Samuel, Samuel. And he will surely awake you from the darkness of your slumber, the darkness of your sin. See the time that Samuel was called. It was not during the day. It was at night. And Samuel 
was sleeping in the darkness of the slumber of his sin. In the darkness of his sleep. And so we also were caught at night in the night in the darkness of our own sleep because of sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and he tells us who it is who is calling. He calls you and I to see that this call is a call from heaven. And when that happens, you receive it and say, speak for your servant is listening. And that is the hearing of the gospel. Now you are ready to hear the gospel. Speak, Lord, for your servant is hearing. Tell me about the things of Christ, the mystery of the gospel, and your servant is listening. That is the hearing of the gospel. The call is effectual and it is irresistible. The sheep will come. They will hear the voice of the master. And all my livestock had names. I gave them names. I still remember most of them. But I could not give names to livestock that did not belong to me. Naming rights means ownership. I could not just walk to my neighbors and start giving names to their livestock because I did not own the livestock. So naming rights means ownership. And when God calls his sheep, he calls those that he owns and is given names. The names that he wrote himself in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. So I called my animals, my livestock by their names that I had given them. And over time, they came to realize their names and associate my voice with their names and heed, pay heed to it. The call of the shepherd is a particular call. And this is the call that the church world denies. The church world wants a Jesus who calls all without mentioning any names. They don't want a shepherd who calls out his sheep by their names because it's unfair. That's what they say. They want a shepherd who just says things and leaves the decision to come on the ship. And I don't know why they take that power of the shepherd's voice away from him. They want to prop up the free will argument. That's the reason. They want to be the ones who make the difference and not God to make the difference. Because this kind of teaching makes the shepherd the one who makes the difference and not the ship. So they want to make salvation about the will of the ship. But this salvation is not about the will of the ship. Jesus said the ship come because they hear the voice of the master. They are attracted to the voice of the master. They recognize the voice of the master. They hear their names and they recognize their names and they are drawn irresistibly by the power of the shepherd and so they come. They come because their names were written before the foundation of the world. They were chosen in Christ, predestined to salvation in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3 to 6. Let's read that as we prepare to finish this. Ephesians 1, 
verse 3 to 6. Apostle Paul writes and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us, that's past tense, he chose us. In him, so we were chosen in Christ when were we chosen before the foundation of the world, which means before we were born, before God created anything, he already chose us in Christ. For what reason that we would be holy and blameless before him that is being conformed to the image of Christ. For the image of Christ is holy and blameless before God. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So that's the foreknowledge. That's the forelove of God in Christ. He predestined us. That's an eternal decree. Predestination is an eternal decree. And the eternal decree stated that these ones that were chosen and given to Christ will be adopted as sons. And that adoption process was going to happen through Jesus Christ. Christ is the one who had to come and sign the papers that we may be adopted into God's family as God's sons. So we adopted through Christ to himself according to the kind intention of Israel. So that is to say, according to his grace. We were adopted according to his grace. That's the kind intention of his sovereign will. We were not involved in all this decision making. No one was there. There was no committee that was set with the angels and the devil to say, okay, Robert in, oh, we don't like this other guy. No, no. we were not there. And listen to why God was doing this. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. So the grace of God has glory. So the reason why he predestined us and chose us is that his glory may be praised. His grace may be praised, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So the grace of God was given us freely, was bestowed on us freely in the beloved. And you see, the beloved is in capital letters. I mean, it's capitalized B which means is Christ. He freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And this teaching, the church hates. It doesn't like this. Because what that means is, if you are chosen before the foundation of the world, and you were adopted in Christ, and that freely, by his grace in Christ, then it means, it's not about your sin, it's not about your Faith is not about your repentance. There's nothing that is you that caused God to bestow his blessing upon you. And because of that, the decision to have you in Christ and be saved in Christ was always coming from God. And God is not going to change his mind because when he did this, he did it before the foundation of the world. So you can never lose salvation. So you can't teach a gospel that says Christ, the good shepherd of the sheep, loses some of his that the father gave him before the foundation of the world. Because now you're not talking about 
anybody, you're talking about Christ being a failure and God being a failure and the sheep somehow coming and frustrating God's purpose for them. So how did the sheep become sheep? Because they were chosen. Chosen from before the foundation of the world. Chosen according to the election of grace. Chosen as a remnant in Christ. And God's do not ever become sheep. Okay? God's will remain God's. The tares will always remain the tares. They will never become wheat. Thieves and robbers do not ever become good shepherds. They are always in the fleecing business. So what we are learning then is there's always been an eternal relationship that exists between the sheep and the shepherd. And the coming of the shepherd reveals to the sheep who they are in him. It reveals to the sheep who they are in him. They hear the gospel. They keep hearing the gospel. Even though the voice of the shepherd may sound faint sometimes and distant, it keeps coming closer and closer and gets louder and louder and clearer and clearer. Verse 4. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. So when the shepherd has called his own sheep, not just some of them, but all of them follow him. All of his sheep follow him. None of his sheep is left in the pen. The shepherd doesn't go back in the pen. As soon as they hear the voice of the shepherd, guess what? They are coming out and they follow him. For he knows them all by name, but not only that, also by number. He knows them by number. He counts them. And when he is satisfied that all are out, then he leads them out. He goes ahead of them. See, the ordering of the process by Jesus. If the shepherd goes behind the ship, then he is forcing the sheep to go where he wants. A lot of the heading and shepherding in the majority of the world, they have the livestock ahead of them and they follow behind them. But in this particular case, it's the opposite. It is the shepherd that leads and the sheep follow. Why? The leading by the shepherd is showing how irresistible the power of the shepherd is to the sheep. Christ is just irresistible. You can't stop talking about Christ once you know who Christ is and you belong to him. The shepherd is so sure of his power that he knows that all his sheep will follow him and none is going to get astray when he has called them. So the sheep will follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. He keeps making the voice. He keeps calling and so all the sheep of Christ keep hearing the gospel. You have to keep hearing the gospel because that's Christ calling. And say, here, here, this way. We are going this way. Now this way. Let's keep going. But those who do not know the voice of the gospel will not follow the shepherd. They are not drawn by him and do not hear his voice. And we have many who are in the church who have not heard the voice of the shepherd and who continue to say, Many, many, many other things that are not the gospel. 
see this also. The sheep were not called in a group. Jesus says, I call mine one by one by their names. God does not serve people in a group. God does not serve people from a particular church because they go to this particular church. He does not serve people because of a particular family or because of their last name or because of where they live. Or because of what they eat. Every call is particular. And each one is called by him in their own time. But when you hear the call, things will be different. You are going to hear the voice of Christ. And you only want to hear the voice of the one shepherd who called. And the voice of another you will not want to hear again. You may have heard a lot of tangential voices from all these other seemingly shepherds. But once you hear the true voice of Jesus, you never can want to go back again to those shepherds, those thieves and robbers who are not the true shepherds of Christ. And you will not want to hear other versions of the gospel that just sound like the gospel, but they are not really the gospel. You recognize the voice the true voice of the true gospel. You know that this is the truth and there is no other. Verse 5, a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. So in this picture, a stranger is a preacher of a false gospel. And Jesus says, his sheep will not follow preachers of false gospel. They do not know the voice of strangers. Once you hear the voice of Christ, you cannot hear the voice of strangers. And guess what? There are so many strangers with a lot of voices praying on the ship. Praise the Lord that he called us. Praise the Lord for his faithfulness to the ship. Because if it were left to ourselves to find the shepherd, guess what? We'll still be lost. So praise the Lord. Let's go before him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just praise you and we thank you for your faithfulness as the good shepherd of the sheep. Thank you, Lord, for coming and calling us out from where we were in our textbooks of sin. Thank you, Lord, for coming to our homes and making a board with us and showing yourself to us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us ears to hear and eyes to see the shepherd who is calling us to himself. And I just pray, Lord, that you would grant ears and sight to all those that were given you by the Father. Those who may still be sleeping like Samuel, who are not yet to hear from the Lord. Lord, may you call them. Even our own children here. Lord, may you call them from their slumber, that they may come to Christ and believe on him and be saved. Lord, we thank you for keeping us We pray for all your people, those that you have called by this same gospel. May you be with all those who shall listen. Bless their hearing, Lord, I pray. And may you be pleased to call some who are still in their slumber. We thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.